Hi, right, well, everyone. Welcome uh, to Chit Chat. My name is Kishore Chandra, and we come on here every evening at 6 p.m. Um, myself and Jai Jagannath Prabhu, and we come on here to discuss spiritual topics. Um, Chit is a Sanskrit word that means spiritual knowledge. Haribol Shyam, welcome Sanjay Radha, Gauranga. And so we come on here every evening. Yes, lots of location changes, always. <laughs> we come on here every evening and uh, we discuss spiritual topics uh, with myself, Kishore Chandra, and uh, our very dear Prabhu Jaya Jagannath. So um, we're just waiting for him. He'll be signing on shortly. He's here. Jai. Okay. It's coming, and then we'll start our little chit chat part of the conversation. I'm here. Harry Ball. I'm just trying to untangle my headphones. No worries. We're all trying to get untangled from the, the material world. So, hey, Alex, Mogaji. Okay, start it off. Say something. Uh, okay, I'll just keep on welcoming people. Welcome to Lake Davy. Welcome Pat, Sanjeevani Radha, Diego. Welcome everyone. Like I was mentioning, Shilpa. I saw I was there. If you're still there, sending you a big hurry bowl. Yeah. So myself and Jai Jagannath, we come on here every evening at 6 p.m. And we speak about spiritual topics. We speak about... Um, lots of things. Yesterday we got a little political. <laughs> Mogaji says, hashtag untangled from Maya. So, I feel like this, feel like this is a really... Deep. It's very deep. I feel like this is a very apt beginning for Chit Chat. Welcome at my healing center. This is what we're discussing on Chit Chat, everyone. How to get untangled from Maya. <laughs> how to get untangled from okay. material questions. <sighs> uh. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Hi, Bo. Hi. <laughs> How goes it? You tell me. Me? <laughs> There's a, not, where, are you like in an interrogation room? <laughs> no, I've spent my whole day kind of like moving, <laughs> moving the quiet. Do you hear the echo? Yes. It's because there's nothing in the room. Oh. Because we just like move, I was moving beds and bed frames, and uh, there's, it's a new house, so we're having to move things around. So, like this. Um, but well, well, we, we, were, we got a little political yesterday, didn't we? Well, I, I wouldn't call it political, but the subject matter we were kind of navigating was how to deal with Srila Prabhupada's social commentary or. Mm -hmm spiritual personalities in general, they may have some sort of social commentary. And especially when you look at the Vedic social world, it's very different from the modern social world. And the tendency is to judge the old world from the perspective of the new world view. And to call the old world view archaic, uninformed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, those of us who were indoctrinated into the new worldview, when we encounter Prabhupada's thinking or any old world pre-modern sort of thinking about social relationships, 
which includes topics of, around sexuality and gender and race and culture and so on, we tend to find ourselves incredulous. And we may experience shock. How can a spiritual person have such views? Um, and so we were kind of, yeah, discussing how one might navigate that or, yeah, how do you deal with that sort of thing? One thing I find interesting, I wrote an article about two years ago called Processing Shri Prabhupada's Anti-Black Statements. And I put anti-black in air quotes. Processing Prabhupada's anti-black statements in his black body. The reason I wrote that is because I was, periodically, I was getting letters from different devotees usually black body devotees who would discover some things that Prabhupada said about blacks. And they were enthusiastic about Christian consciousness and then they saw that and didn't know how to think about it. So I was a long time, for them at least, a long time black body devotee. So how did you deal with that when you encountered it? Of course, most people don't know that I'm white on the inside. No kidding. <laughs> But um, and so I wrote, I, that's what inspired me to write that article. Mm -hmm. And kind of my first point that I wanted to, that I really tried to hammer was that why do you think that scriptures would promote an anti-racist view? Of course, I made sure to define racism as different races showing superiority or inferiority in certain characteristics and traits. Because that was like the secondary definition that was given on, in the dictionary that I was using. So I said, what makes you think that the scriptures would be anti-racist in that sense? We teach an equality of souls, but not an equality of bodies. The bodies are different according to different modes of nature. So are the minds and the cultures that are born from such minds are very different. And there would be a hierarchy based on those modes also. Generally, the mode of goodness is considered superior to the mode of passion and ignorance. Passion is superior to ignorance and so on. So if you look at it from the perspective of even the modes of nature, then intuitively at least, there's nothing to suggest that scripture would be anti-racist in that sense. And then I even shared a few verses that show that you know, Sasha's got some happy things to say about people who aren't like Indian descent, who basically, if you were born outside of Varnashram culture, as a general rule of thumb, most thinkers, even the spiritual ones, they thought if you were outside of Varnashram, you were a savage, basically. Outcast, savage, uh, a barbarian. And they have terms like Malecha and Yavina and you know, not flattering terms. Basically saying, oh, you're not in Varnashram? You're a barbarian. <laughs> you outcast. Like, you're not fit to be looked at. Like, they had heavy stipulations around those things. So I was like, what makes you think that scripture would be anti-racist when talking about material bodies and the position within the, you know, the framework of the material world? But that's really hard for people to believe because in the new world indoctrination, we usually tend to be very egalitarian. Uh, often what attracts us to Christian consciousness or spiritual ideas is the idea of equality. And 
inequality of souls. But we tend to try to impose that equality of souls onto material bodies. And then when we hear someone like a Pearl Pod or whoever is saying like, nope, that's not true. We're um, taken aback by it. So anyway, this is what we were trying to navigate, I guess, navigate yesterday. How do you deal with, yeah, how do you deal with devotees or spiritual people who seem to have social views that don't seem spiritual and that seem evil or not evil, wrong, heading in the direction of evil? Yeah. Not good, like this. And I remember, I was, I was having a hard time remembering, but I just remember about, like, we kind of gave this uh, idea of, like, the third very rare option when we come across something like this that's very, like, in your face or something that's very challenging to your cultural indoctrination. Uh, I shouldn't air quote cultural indoctrination. It is cultural, cultural indoctrination. Um, is that when we come across things like this, either we kind of sweep it under the rug and just don't pay attention to it, or we you know, become very against it, we, we get very fired up and say, that's wrong, how dare they, etc., like this. And so you were mentioning this yesterday that it's very rare when you're able to ask deeper questions, when you're able to kind of investigate a little bit more, well, what was Prabhupada, you know, where is he coming from? Or where is this person coming from? Or, you know, let me take a step back from my cultural indoctrination and try to look at this from a different lens. So it's very rare for that to happen. But we were saying yesterday, like, do whatever you can to try and arrive at that third, at that third option, at that third choice of looking at things. Because I feel like, I feel like, I mean, I feel like if you're not, trying to arrive at that third choice, you're just like in, you know, you're just like bouncing back and forth from one extreme to another extreme, you know? And it becomes very difficult to understand things because even in the Bhagavatam, like you're, like there's, there's really intense things in the Bhagavatam. Absolutely. Like, I remember when I was reading that, you know, end of the third canto, oh, like there's a lot of stuff in there that's just like, Whoa, right? And the third canto, like chapters like 32, something like that. Like there's some really intense stuff in there that like if you if you don't just read that kind of like according to your cultural societal biases, cultural indoctrination, cultural biases, let's call them a softer word perhaps, it's very easy to just kind of like denounce it. This yes. is wrong. Yes. I don't want to hear this. This is whatever. And actually that's like that's greater offense you know, to, to treat the Srimad Bhagavatam like that, than to try and fit into this cultural perspective of like, well, I have to, you know, be on this side. I have to do like this. I have to vote for this person. I have to like this. You know, in my honest opinion, it's greater offense to say, to read something in Srimad Bhagavatam, let myself be deluded by my cultural upbringing and denounce Srimad Bhagavatam. Right. I see a lot of comments. I know a lot of questions are coming. I want to do. I want to do this one first from Nish Kish sixteen. Where is it? Do, scroll down. Do you believe oh, yeah. the teachings of our scriptures have a sense of purvagraha, which I guess means prejudice or biasness, or is it the people's understanding of the scriptures, and then further their translations? Um. I think both are possible. 
as just for starters, most of y'all won't be knowing this because when we say scriptures in the Hare Krishna movement, we're talking about the beautiful Bhagavatam. Shri Ma Bhagavatam Puranam Abalam Ya Vaishnavanam Priyam. So this is a nice verse from the Shri Bhagavatam. It says, this Shri Bhagavatam is Purana Amala. So the word Mala means like tincture or contamination. So Amala means without tincture or without contamination. So this Purana is Amala Purana. So Ya Vaishnavanam Priyam. So it has become very dear to the Vaishnavas. Because the Vaishnavas are cool. They sweet, they gentle, they sensitive. They, they see beyond just material bodies and minds. So they find the Srimad Bhagavatam very pleasing because it is Amala. So what is the meaning of that? Well, the context, as far as I understand, of pointing out the Bhagavatam is Amala, is that when you look at the Karma Mark scriptures, and the scriptures that govern social life on the path of enjoyment within the material world, they mad crazy, yo. I ain't gonna lie. They got some heavy stuff in those Karma Mark scriptures. Like, you know how we find fault with, like, old school, like, Islam and Christianity when they say stuff about, like, sexuality, like, they should be, or women, they should be stumped. Stuff in there that people... Uh -oh. Did it freeze? Just for a second, but you're back now. So you know how the scriptures have some weird stuff in there, these, like, Middle Eastern scriptures that everyone today will find fault? Yo! <laughs> the Vedas got some weird stuff in there. I saw one commentary of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta where he was commenting on um, the different types of sins. And let me tell you, those different types of sins is like common practice amongst a lot of us before we were devotees. And the, the, the what do you call it? The, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like repentance, not repentance, what's the word? Prayashita, prayashita, atonement. Uh, the atonement for the, these transgressions was wild. Like, I saw one, if a woman commits adultery, she should be shaven. All her hair should be shaved off. And she should be, she should be taken on a donkey in the public space naked and put to shame. Like, all sorts of weird, crazy, like, for our sens sensibilities at least, absolutely crazy stuff. And that, that gets into a whole deeper discussion about what was considered moral for those old world cultures. As I mentioned a little bit briefly yesterday, the Western individualistic societies, their morality tends to be fixated on harm and fairness. Whereas these more, I learned a word yesterday, sociocentric societies, which tend to put the needs of the society above the needs of individuals, their sense of morality in the stretch of all aspects of life. So it's like a very different moral landscape. Mm. And so when you look at the Vedas, they got all sorts of crazy stuff in there that for our sensibilities would be prejudice, would be biasness, would be just straight up crazy. Traumatic. Traumatic. And so when you, so, and that was the strictness of the sort of scriptures. If you want to enjoy in this world, you have to enjoy according to these strict stipulations. And if there's any transgression, boom, punished heavy. But the Srimad Bhagavatam is Amala Purana. 
So amala means it doesn't have these sorts of things in them. Uh, these not the topics of the amala purana deal with the soul, deal with devotion of the soul to God. It deals with all these beautiful topics and how to develop that love for God and all that. These are all beautiful topics. So it is very dear to the Vaishnavas because it is Amala Purana. So the scriptures, if you look at these old world scriptures, if you said Manu Samhita, that's not even going to start about that Manu Samhita. Manu Samhita is like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I remember one devotee, um, a gay friend, a mutual acquaintance of ours. He speaks Sanskrit. So he read Manu Samhita, gay guy. And he was like, the punishment for men engaging in homosexual behavior was like to take a cold shower. The punishment for women engaging in homosexual behavior was like drinking ghee until you die or something like real. <laughs> and, and he said, when he read that, he said, I renounce the Manu Samhita. Like, the scripture is bogus. Yeah. So... For our sensibilities, I think we would find a lot of the things in scripture, especially surrounding karma mark, to be prejudice and biasness and so on. When you come to the Amala Purana, they, the enlightened archetypes of bhakti exist in the context of this Varnashram culture. So when Prabhupada was commenting on, you know, Bhagavatam, which is a bhakti scripture, he was making commentary about the social context to give us some context of the social world that this enlightened bhakti is existing in and how it exists in that world, how it, you know, rises above that world and so on. So I think the answer is yes, scriptures do have what we would call prejudice and biases for sure. Why, you know, again, why wouldn't they? Especially these old scriptures that deal with like the modes of nature they're really good at categorizing things and putting labels and terms on things of course they have all these elements are there undoubtedly can it be also a leader you know reading his own prejudices into that absolutely like sometimes because for example Prabhupada has said heavy things about blacks taking that example there may be devotees who have their own anartas with racism. So they may have a tendency to underscore, like Prabhupada said this, and then based on that, mistreat others and so on. That is also true. Mm -hmm. So both things can certainly take place. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. I think again, it, gets, it gets difficult. I think it gets difficult, but I think that trying to create perfectly equal social system based on bod material bodies is like an exercise in, you know, just, um, what's that word for? Not irrelevance, but like it's just an exercise in futility. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we've seen historically it come, you know, we don't even, like just on history, like different types of people according to their race or nation or sex or like whatever, they hold power at different times in history. And that has been the, the wave of history as it has gone on. And essentially the message of Bhagavatam is that that will continue to happen. It will continue to happen 
lest we, you know, do the internal work of our soul. And so I can either make a choice to be on the external material platform and I'm fighting for equality like because I think that I think that the problem that people have sometimes when we speak like this is that it's like, well, don't you think that, you know, this person should have rights or that person should have rights or like this? And I personally I think that's a very personal thing. You know, I personally think that yeah, everyone should have like rights, for sure. Everyone should have <laughs> rights. Why does sound so enthusiastic about it? <laughs> But at the same time, I think when it, when it becomes this like monolith, you know, it becomes this mo cultural monolith of like, if you disagree in any sort of way with the socio-political socio identity of that movement or of that, you know, whatever it is, you know, fill in the blank movement. You know, if you disagree, that means that you're a pariah, essentially, you know, and that everything that you say there's no, there's no use listening to you like this. And that's kind of what has me really ticked off. Um, I like what Sanjeevani Rudd is saying. We follow the example of the personality rather than hook onto one statement they made. That's okay, but, you know, um, and that's a lot of... That's, that's a common devotee defense yeah. to Srila Prabhupada. I like to take a more unique approach. My unique approach is to support Prabhupada's statements. <laughs> Dude, and the reason I do that is because I like to be a sassy queen. No, the reason I like to do that is to get people comfortable. Like, I feel like we have to become comfortable with the idea that things aren't fair. This is a material world. Or, Absolutely. As, I, as, I, as I often said, that things are fair to a fault. In the sense that if you take Gita, Bhagavatam, we're receiving the fruits of our own deeds in the past. But we don't know why we're getting this particular reaction because we don't know what we did in the past. So it's fair, but we're not informed of why we're getting slapped up. You know, it's like sometimes, I'm sure you had this experience. I certainly had an experience a couple of times. Being out with public with your mom and you just get slapped suddenly like and you don't know why you just got hit and you know you slapped in public and you can't defend yourself you you can't cry and then you you know a few hours later when she's calmed down why did you hit me like there was no context for that slap and then she informs you you did this particular thing in a few hours and you need to be checked for that so karma is something like that you, you get slapped up sometimes, you don't know the context. So it's fair to a fault. So the reason I like to take the route of trying to defend, not really defend, but to say there's some reason behind what Prabhupada is saying. Not, it's not just like prejudice or it's completely unfounded. Mm -hmm. It's because I also feel that we as practicing sadhikas need to become more comfortable with just being like in an inferior position socially or things just seem unfair, not right. Because this is actually part of the flavor of the material world. Mm. And uh, there was something I wanted to bring up when I made this point. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I remember. So I was, I was at a, this thing called the Sangha Initiative. Mm, yeah. So it's like a youth Sangha thing that is done at ISKCON and all these youths come from all over and they come together and do programs. So one year I went, they had this topic, racism in ISKCON. 
So I was like, oh, this should be interesting because I was like, these are a bunch of Indian kids. What they know about racism in ISKCON? ISKCON in America is probably Hindu. So what racism did they experience? So I went to just see what the topic was. Of course, the topic got immediately hijacked by gender imbalances in our institutions. So one devotee, young man, he complained that in our temple, the women still have to stand in the back during like the major programs and all the men stand in the front. And that's unfair. Now, most temples I've been to, men women stand side by side, but whatever. He said the women stand in the back, men stand in front, that's unfair. So my take on that was like, you know what? I agree with you. It is unfair. The women get to stand in the back because they're socially inferior. And with all that humility, their bhakti gets to soar like anything. And here I am with that male abhimai. I get to stand in front and think I'm better than them because of that. And my bhakti goes down. So you know what? I agree with you. It is unfair. But you know what? That's life. And obviously it was a joke, but just like take it in another way. That what is deemed maybe a socially inferior position might be precisely good for nourishing bhakti. Now, again, let me, let me save myself and vindicate myself from blame by saying I don't think communities should support things that are blatantly prejudiced for the culture of the time. You know, you should do the necessary adjustments for the time that we're in to make things smooth over. But I'm just speaking in more, like kind of purely abstract terms and thinking about what about the interest to get out of the material world? Like, when you throw that element into perspective, excuse my Sanskrit, but who gives a beep that I have to stand in the back? Big freaking deal. Who, get, who cares? Like, when I first heard, I heard this thing, I must have heard it from one of Prabhupada's books, that the black body was somehow considered inferior. I didn't give a... Like, so what? You know, can the black body chant Hare Krishna and go back on back to God? Or let me say the the soul and the black body do that? Absolutely. Mm. That, when did that stop being like the important point? And I get it. We're, st we're a congregational movement. And so there's going to be some element of need for social development. Mm. And so to fit that need, you have to be concerned about these things. So I'm talking from an abstract kind of like, what about the goal of life perspective? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. So oh, someone called you a bad name? Who cares? I had, when I was in India, I have Indians calling me all sorts of names. I, I'm like, I don't care. I was chatting Hare Krishna and I'm gonna be laughing all the way to the bank yes. when I go back home, back to Godhead. PB Chat says, we will forever be offended if we identify with our bodies. Facts, facts, 100% And again, facts. I'm trying to encourage, well, I'm not encouraging mistreatment that should be handled on a communal level. So let me make that clear. What I am encouraging is like, aren't we supposed to be interested in the goal of life? Yeah. Okay, so if you're really like, folks, zoom down on the goal of life. If someone calls you a bad name because of your body, why does it matter? Let's be real. Oh, you're in a socially inferior position? Why does it matter? All the Goswamis were in socially inferior positions. You didn't hear them complaining about it. Sanatan Goswami, Haridas Thakur, Rupa Goswami, they were not allowed to go into the Jagannath Puri temple. Yeah. They didn't complain about it. They were like, I'm a Chahari Krishna. Now, so I'm, there are both sides to these things. I'm just 
zooming in on one side. If you're interested in the goal of life, why should this be a major problem for you? And I, I think that I think that also what we're seeing, you know, I, I've seen it personally with many friends. We're seeing it on the social landscape. Is that when I fo when I reduce myself, maybe that's like too intense of a language. When I focus in on one aspect of my identity and try to claim so-called fairness for that aspect of my identity, then I, in turn, am reducing myself to that singular aspect of my identity. I've seen it happen to so many of my friends, you know, just like, whether it's the race thing or the sexuality thing, and then all of a sudden that identity, like, takes over them, it takes over their mind. And I'm just like, hello, like, what happened? Where'd you go? And right. it's a monolith. It's, it's an indoctrination, like that word that we've been using. And so I personally, I think the identity politics games is a, it's, it's a very, it can be a very, very dangerous and uh, volatile and manipulative game. Because if you don't watch yourself, you know, if you take one step too far into the fairness or whatever, fighting for this, it's like you lose yourself in that. You know, Absolutely. I've, I've seen friends, that happens to many friends in the past. That's happened to people that I know personally, where I, I personally now become the, the bad person, right. the bad guy, because I'm not embracing that aspect of my identity and it's internalized racism, right. it's internalized homophobia, it's right. internalized this, and I'm just like, no, we just don't see eye to eye on the, the, the cultural, societal monolith of what it means to be you know, Hispanic or black or gay or like whatever. And it's, it's really, it's really messed up. Because like, you know, like you've been saying, like P.B. Travis saying, if we're focusing on our material bodies, there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be this aspect of being offended, of there being unfairness. And it's like, I'm trying to focus on my soul. I'm trying to focus on chanting Hare Krishna. I'm trying to focus on these things. But then the problem becomes that you have a lot of devotees and you have a lot of quote-unquote spiritualists who are saying things like, well, you, you know, you're... This is this is not bhakti, or like you know, this is not the behavior of a Vaishnava, or this is not like this. And I'm just like, oh, what's not the behavior of the Vaishnava? Chani Hari Krishna? No, no, no. Of like being on the correct side. You know, if I'm not on their side, the right side, that's not you know befitting of a Vaishnava. That's not befitting of someone who practices bhakti yoga. Yeah, you know, with that, I mean, all, all I can say is, you know what? If we keep on like this, I'll see you in the next life. <laughs> like life has a real purpose you know we're gonna bicker about these things that have nothing to do with actual devotional service or, or bhakti or philosophy or anything but i'll see you in the next life if that's what we choose to absorb ourselves in mm -hmm. um after all we get the fruit of our absorption by uh yeah we get the fruit of our absorption at the end of life so if that's what we want to be absorbed in so yeah that's why i'm trying to throw this other angle in like once you're into the goal of life, why does it matter? To be honest with you, I don't even think, even if you take the goal of life out of the equation, I seriously doubt it would matter if there wasn't so much contempt amongst those who were in a higher social position. Mm. You know, if you're nowadays, because everyone's so proud, as soon as you get into some position that's considered socially superior, you start holding those who don't have that in contempt. So 
naturally they retaliate, you know, also because of ego. But if you didn't have that hubris surrounding you because you were in a social spirit, I don't think anyone would care. Like, in the old world, if men were considered socially superior and they weren't mistreating women and they weren't, you know, doing things that were blatantly against the culture because of their social... Do you think anyone would really care about that? Frankly speaking, I'm convinced, and I'm sorry if this is on the wrong side of thinking. I'm so convinced that feminism could be finished in like two or three weeks if men would just be proper. Mm. There were, and I'm I'm pretty I I I'm, I could be absolutely wrong about this so I I totally accept that but I have a I, I have a sense that most women wouldn't mind the vast majority at least wouldn't mind being like damsels in distress taken care of by a good man I mean that's what I'm, I want. I, you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying like I remember talking to one of my friends in Russia. Um, She's a feminist, and she's quite popular in Russia, actually. Um, did, as a job, she was a contrarian, like a news contrarian type of person, so real popular. Feminist like anything. So I was in Russia talking to her one time. We were serving one sannyasi together, and we were eating lunch together, and she had, she had a man. And I asked her point blank. I said, let's be real. You sitting here enjoying life right now, and your man working hard at work. You don't like this position? You don't think it's good? Like, I want, I want 100% honesty. And then she was like, you right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just having a candid discussion, you know, about the situation. But, of course, nowadays, there's so many terrible men. Which yeah. I don't think it's entirely any fault of their own. We've, we had a culture that has victimized boys with terrible education. Um, has subjected them to a hypersexualized world where the average contact with pornography is between nine and 12. And they grow up with these sorts of images. So they haven't really prepared men to be the outstanding persons they could be. And so that leads to the need of women to fend for themselves and so on. This is, I'm just giving this one example. My point is to say that if there wasn't, if there was really a proper social culture, where everyone was just kind of happy in their position and there wasn't contempt, mm. then no one would care about these things. If you were like, you're... Estoy ocupado en este momento. You sound real yeah. Spanish. There's like, a bunch, there's like a bunch of people in this house right now, like workers and okay. I don't know what's happening. Sorry. Uh -huh. So I, I, I just tend to have a sense, like even if I was considered racially inferior in such a culture, but there wasn't any like outstanding contempt. That was just like a general understanding, but everyone had respect for each other. No one would care. Like I, I've been in Cali. I'm sure it's like this in Ecuador where you have servants that live in the house with you. Yeah, I'm currently in the servant room. Oh, you're in the servant There's room. There's no servant. There's no okay. servant. But this you're, is- You are the this servant. Was, this, <laughs> this was designed to be the servant room. Okay, so there you have it. So they're considered socially inferior. So when I was in Cali, I used to see all these servants in the house are considered socially inferior. Nobody cares. And one reason is because no one has outstanding contempt for each other. Like, in fact, most of the servants have been serving in a particular house for many, many years. They're practically like family. Yeah. And the amount of respect that is shown towards everyone is very beautiful. 
So it's the contempt fact. It's not the social inequality that's at the root of the problem, in my understanding and view. Yeah. It's the contempt factor that makes this all a huge problem. Yeah. And, and then we get caught up in trying to fight the good fight, and, and then it just takes over our consciousness. Yeah, I think that's a really good example that you just gave. Um, because they do, like, in Latin America, from my experience, my, you know, half of my family has money and half of my family doesn't. And so the family that does have money, I remember going there as a child, and it, and it was really weird to me. I was just like, why are there servants? Like, and when I was going through my social justice phase, like, as a teenager, I was like, free the servants! <laughs> right. And, then, and the more and more I, I, I asked my uncles and aunts and like this, and they, like you're saying, they hold so much respect for each other. The, the servants live in the house as part of the family. They right. celebrate their birthdays and the child's birthdays and they pay, right. for, the they pay for the children's schooling and like right. this, whatever. And it's a very, it's most of the time it's a nice relationship actually. And you know, it's also like income, a job, like you have an opportunity to, to do like this. Something that I'm going through right now personally, not personally right now, but like, I mean, maybe this is a topic for another time, but like, my mother is kind of like the person who, like the first person who left Ecuador to go to the United States. And so, you know, she's wealthy apparently now. Apparently we're wealthy now. <laughs> this is a new reality to me. I'm like, oh, okay. But a lot of our family isn't. And, and there's no, especially like a lot of our family is like helping us. They're like helping us move things and they're here, they're here right now. And there's no sense of contempt or like why, you know, why didn't I have this? Like the envy is very low because everyone is, has a lot of appreciation for each other. Everyone's helping each other. There's not this uh, hierarchical, there's a hierarchical reality, but there's not a hierarchical like, you know, mode of thinking of like, you're lesser than me because right. I am at this position. Right. And that becomes a huge societal problem, I think, in the West or like in the United States. I mean, that's a whole other thing that we can have a whole other chit chat about. Right. I think it would be interesting to look into. But I like this this idea of like the fact that there's no contempt, you know? Right. Because at the end of the day, we appreciate, you know, we should appreciate, for example, the essential work. I thought it was so funny that that whole thing about the essential workers and the clapping for them. I'm like, a little too late, don't you think? Like this. <laughs> Because now it's like, I feel like that's not gonna last, you know? Personally, I feel like that's not gonna last. Like, I have so much appreciation for the essential workers and this kind of thing. It's a very American thing, you know, this whole American dream to like, rags to riches, I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna rise up to be the person with money, I'm gonna rise up to be that person. And it, it becomes a... It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, instead of teaching people to be anti-racist, which is, in my view, is a big waste of time. You know, the, um, ma the material concept of life is tenacious. <laughs> and you're just going to sit down and, like, go away. Instead of teaching people to be anti-racist, teach them to be respectful to all life, including lives of animals and insects and other yeah. human beings from other races. And then your problem is solved. And that, my understanding at least of the old world cultures, is that when you were training children, you had to train them in certain qualities. 
they have lists given in the Bhagavatam, their lists given in Gita. You got this sort of basic training and certain qualities that you were intended to assimilate through your training. Qualities that I never even heard about until I started reading Prabhupada's books. You know, like austerity, sense control. What? What's that? Sense control. So um, if you teach people these qualities, then your problem is solved. There won't be any need for anti-racism, this, that, and the other, but that isn't going on. So now everyone's got to fight the good fight. Go on fighting the good fight. For devotees, we have another purpose in life. Don't mind what I'm about to say. It's going to be a little off. Don't mind. But someone asked me, you know, when BLM was going on and so on, before they knew how racist I was. <laughs> they asked me, um, well, what do you think about all this? Don't you think this is all very important? Like, why aren't you getting involved? That was the question. Why aren't you getting involved? In and I said, I'm sorry, sweetie. My life has a real purpose. <laughs> you know, I'm aiming for something completely different from this. And, you know, you do you and, they, and whoever wants to do They can do that. All power to you. It's not my thing. Um, my thing is getting out of this material world. Ultimately, I'm having a little bit of a hard time, admittedly. But that is my focus, and that's what's important to me. Yeah. So I got to choose my battles wisely, and that's just not one battle that I want to choose. It's not one that I find to be particularly important for me. Yeah. And I guess when I'm talking to devotees who have a hard time with some of these social statements, I try to remind them, you know, what's the purpose of life? Why do we need to get bogged down too much? on these things again to vindicate myself from complete blame when you're living in a community and especially if you have some sort of social clout or position and you see things are going wrong you may have to do something about it yeah for sure. well, on a general level don't forget the actual purpose of your life yeah i think that's a that, i think that's a great takeaway point for this don't don't forget the actual purpose of your life and it's, it's a lot easier to do than, than we like to give credit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wanted to say thank you for all of the wonderful comments. What have a query made a beautiful one? The illusion that power structures are ideological and not just the result of souls drunk with material um, advantage. Right. Yeah, I, I really like that comment. But yeah, and then Phoebe Chow was saying, you go JJP, eyes on the prize. And I think that that's, I think that's the real thing. Like as devotees or people who are practicing bhakti, like, we need to encourage each other for, like, the actual goal of life, you know, as opposed to tearing each other down for differing material conceptions. Right. Which we've already spoken about in the Bhagavatam, there's various verses of Krishna speaking, you know, like, hey, this is just the illusory energy, this is my illusory energy, and y'all aren't going to come to a conclusion unless you surrender to me, essentially. You know, so it's like, that's already clear to us on the philosophical level. So instead of tearing each other down, which is happening so much in Facebook and like this in the Instagram world, we should be encouraging each other, like Phoebe Chow is just encouraging you, like, let's get our eyes on the prize, let's remember about what the real purpose of life is. Sanjivani Rana says t-shirt, what's going on with the t-shirt? Sanjivani Rana, I don't know. <laughs> but um, 
But anyway, everyone, thank you so much for, for joining us. We're here every evening at 6 p.m. Uh, for chit-chat between myself and Vivek Dignath and always talking about very interesting topics. I'm really grateful that you allow us to be real about how we feel about certain things. I know some of these views would get me canceled immediately. But yeah, everybody well, here we'll just see. allows it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. If we get right reported. Now, right now, I feel like we have people that are always tuning in live to us. But then we always post, the, we always post this on the Bhakti Center Instagram. So oh, right, right. We shall see. Right. <laughs> anyway, thank you for those who regularly tune in with us for allowing us, you know, holding space and allowing for our conversation to remain as candid as possible. Yeah. Um, without I, much censoring of ourselves. Yeah, because I think that that's the real purpose of, of Chit Chat, to be able right. to speak kind of unabashedly, yeah. with, you know, candidly, but still being, still holding space for the kind of those other things. Like, we've also always said it here on Chit Chat, it's like, if, if you think that that's something that you need to do, then go and do it, you know? If right. you need to go protest, if that's what you want to do, go do it. If you need to speak about social issues, go do it. But don't forget about Krishna, you know? Don't right. forget about the real purpose of life, like this. <laughs> Topek, whatever, <it> canceled. <laughs> Cancel culture. Just real. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, for being here. Um, uh, PB Chat, Topek, Manopuri, all of you, Kavi. Thank you for allowing us to be real. And we'll be here tomorrow night at 6 p.m. continuing to be real. And it seems like the internet is like. Krishna's mercy. Krishna's mercy. So, yes, thank you, Kavik, for that wonderful, wonderful. Okay, everyone. Hurry, bro. Thank you all. Hurry, honey, honey, honey.